0: Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children, our heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What we learn from this psalm is that regardless of the endeavor, if God's blessing is not on that endeavor, that endeavor will eventually fail. This psalm, from the context, appears to be talking about the building up of a family. Some believe it's talking about the building of the temple. Either way, if God's hand is not involved and if God's hand is not blessing that effort, that effort will eventually fail. It's interesting in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that the church is referred to as the household of God. First Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. I, come, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. In fact, the church even has the imagery of a temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians 3. In chapter 6, our bodies are called temples, but in chapter 3, we, as a collective of Christians, are called a temple of God. First Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Brothers and sisters, we are the household of God. And I have no doubt that in many churches, this morning, a lesson with this sort of title is being preached about fathers. We're in a period of transition here at this church. Edwin's left, and Mitch is coming here in a couple of weeks. I think it would be beneficial for us to step back and think about our efforts and our labor here at Franklin. We're the household of God in this place. We're the household of God. The Lord is continuing to build His house in this place. And the fact is, it doesn't matter what kind of effort we put forward. It doesn't matter what the shepherds of this church do, what Mitch is going to do, what the teachers are going to do, what any of us do. If the Lord's hand is not behind us, we will eventually fail. Unless the Lord's building our house in this place, we will fail. The Lord has to be behind us. That's the idea behind this study this morning. This is a great time for us to step back and take inventory as a church and as individuals within this church. How are we functioning? We're we're very excited that Mitch is coming. We're We're very excited about this new beginning that's coming up. We've got to remember, if the Lord's not building our house, we labor in vain. One of the things that we need to observe when we think about God being the builder is that God provides the means for the building. If the Lord's building the house, he's providing the financing, so to speak. He has paid for this project. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we see that God purchased his church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. uh, This is Paul addressing uh, the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So it's purchased by God with his own blood. And if you're studying the deity of Christ, as an aside, this is an interesting place to go. Jesus died. It says that God paid with his blood, though. Jesus is God. But God bought the church with his own blood. We won't turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians 6, we're told that we are to honor and glorify God in our bodies, for we were bought with a price. We also need to trust that if God's given us a, a task to do, If God's going to build up his church, he will provide the means to accomplish that. Take a look in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. beginning in verse 7, it says, And he, that being Jesus, called the twelve and began, and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you, are, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. Sometimes when we're talking about the work that goes on in this place, sometimes there's this concern of we're overwhelmed. How can we possibly do what God has asked us to do? How can we be big enough? How, can, how are we going to have the resources to do what God wants done? That's the building of the church in this place. We have to trust that God is going to provide the things that we need. If he calls us to do something, he's going to provide the resources we need to accomplish that. So if God provides the, the means, the financing, so to speak, he also provides the plans. I, I want us to observe, first of all, that this building of a church is not, was not a one-time occurrence. I think there's this misconception sometimes that Jesus came, he died, and he built his church on the day of Pentecost. The problem with that is that the church may have started on Pentecost. It's continuing to be built, though. As people are added, the Lord is continuing to build his church. This is not something that happened one time. In Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians 2, in the beginning of verse 21, it says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the spirit. This building up is an ongoing process. This is not something that he did once and he just set in motion and just ignored it from there on out. His church is to, is to continue to grow. If you look in chapter three in verses 20 and 21, Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21, we're going to see the fundamental work of the church. We've had a lot of lessons on what the work of the church is and you know edification, evangelism and limited benevolence. At a fundamental level, the work of the church is to glorify God. That's why we're here. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That is our job. Our job is to glorify God. So God gives us plans. And before we get into that just a little bit, we need to recognize our fundamental job. His fundamental plan for us is that we glorify Him. He intends that we uphold truth. In 1 Timothy 3, we won't go there, but the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. We read that at the beginning. And it's not so that we can look good or so that we can brag. It's because the truth will set people free. Because people need truth. That's why we have to uphold it. God has given us a mission that is spiritual in focus, And God knows how his house ought to look. He knows how his house ought to function. It's not our job to come back and try to improve on God's plan. We won't go into a whole lot of detail this morning because we've had a lot of other lessons on it, but specifically how we should work together, how we should be organized, what our focus should be. I think we understand a lot of that. But we need to remember that it's not our job to make it better. It's not our job to improve on God's plan. It's not our job to make substitutions. Think about uh, King Saul back in 1 Samuel 13. It's an interesting account that I want us to read together in 1 Samuel 13. God, in the Old Covenant, had certain laws about who could offer sacrifices. There are certain regulations that were in place. King Saul got a little impatient. He was fighting the Philistines, and he wanted the favor of the Lord. Let's begin reading in verse 8, 1 Samuel 13. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at, at Micmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I had not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. You've got to love that, right? I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up to meet Saul. After Saul to meet the army, they went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him about six hundred men. Saul decided that he needed the favor of the Lord. There wasn't a priest around to offer this sacrifice. So what did he do? He offered it himself. Is God pleased when we start monkeying around with his plan? Does he like it when we start making substitutions and saying that we've got it figured out better? Now, how would you like it if you're, let's say you've contracted out the building of a house, and what you've asked for is stone around the front door. I would love to have that someday. Have stone around the front door. And the guys that are working there decided to stub it out with some brick. Just throw some brick in. You know The stone di- didn't get there on time, so we just put some brick in. And you go there and you look at it, and you say, who gave you the authority to do this? What made you you think that would be okay? It's my money. It's my plans. Why are you going and changing it? We would be displeased with that. It's not their job to decide what we want or to make substitutions. The same thing is true with the God of heaven. When he gives us a plan for his house and how we need to work together, it's not our job to say, That's going to be too hard. Let's do something else. Let's do it his way. God is ultimately responsible for his house. He wants things done his way. That does not, however, give us the liberty to sit back on our hands and say, God's building it. I don't need to do anything. The fact is, God as builder has enlisted people as workers. How many times do we look throughout Scripture where God has used people to accomplish His will? It's all throughout Scripture. Is God limited to working through people? Well, no, He's God. But so very often He works through people, and the same thing is true about us working together as a church. We, as people have a role to play. You think about Paul and Apollos. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. It was still God's work that he enlisted human health. Take a look in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have a role to play. God's house, he people as workers. I'm going suggest to you that he wants workers who imitate him. To imitate his character the way he is. We're, we're only going to be as effective as our reflection on God's character. Back in 2 Samuel 12, we won't go there, but Nathan confronts David about his sins relating to Bathsheba. And one of the things that's pointed out is that David had given cause to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The same thing is going to be true about us. If we live lives that are sinful, not only are we damaging this local body and its reputation, we're giving people the occasion to blaspheme the God of heaven when we don't live the way that we ought to. And the question would be, what kind of fruit are we bearing? In Galatians chapter 5, we have a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as an aside, I will mention that this does not say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. So when the Spirit is truly working in us, according to biblical pattern, These things will be in us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How's your love? How's your love for people? God loves to a degree that we can't fathom. How much do we care about people? How much do we love people? Do we have a joy? Do we have the peace that passes understanding? Do we have patience, the ability to endure without complaint? Do we show kindness? Do we show kindness to one another? Do we show kindness to people that we come in contact with? Gentleness. Meekness and gentleness are synonyms. It's this idea that you have strength, but it's strength under control. This is something that that I have to work on because when I see that someone is deliberately doing wrong, I want to hit them upside the head with a baseball bat. You know, and it's hard sometimes for that to not come out in words, too. I'm very grateful that the God of heaven doesn't act with me according to his full force, that he restrains himself. We've got to be gentle with one another and with those that we come into contact with. And then self control. Do we we have the ability to say no to to the things we ought not do and the control to to take action and do the things we ought? Both things take self-control. This is a picture. This fruit of the Spirit, the picture of the character of God. It starts out with love. God is love. How much are we like Him? In 2 Peter chapter 1, we have these stages where we grow. Second Peter chapter one, verses five through nine. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. God wants us to grow in these areas. And it will be a growth process. You're not going to have all of these the moment you come out of the water. You've got to grow. You've got to add to our faith virtue and the virtue knowledge. Let's be like the Lord. And then God takes workers who edify the body. Workers who are active in edifying the body. There are a lot of people here that are very active in helping this church grow. I don't, I don't see everything that everybody does, but I see a lot of good that's done. And I want to thank you very much. Just for me, it's incredibly encouraging to me. I've definitely been strengthened by being with you, being around you, getting to watch you. Before we get into this, I do have a word of caution. Uh, Gentlemen, please don't place undue emphasis on the public aspects of the assembly. That's just one part, one way in which the body can be edified. think about people who are really good at getting Bible studies. That doesn't happen up here. They have character, and they have relationships with people where they are very skilled at getting Bible studies, for instance. In many ways, that has a far more reaching impact than whether you can be a good song leader. My word of caution would be to not place undue emphasis on public participation. And the flip side is true for you ladies. Please don't feel like you don't have work to do but you don't have a role to play simply because you're not leading in the public assembly. There's work for all of us to do. If you turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, we read verses uh, 11 through 13. We'll reread that and then take take it on down to verse 16. God builds up the body. He uses us to do it. We each have a role to play. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't know if you've ever tried to, if you picture a, a body, kind of picture what part you would be. You know? I like to think of, you know, like an Edwin or a Mitch maybe as a mouse. Right? Edwin's a big one. Right, I guess I can't make fun of him too much because he's gone, but... You might just think that you're an elbow, not really appealing, not really attractive, but you serve a function. We each have some sort of function and role to play, and each part makes the body grow up. I mean, notice that again in verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You might think you're an ugly wart. You might have an overinflated view and think you're great. There is a role for each of us to play in love and in humility that makes this whole body grow up. If you look at First Corinthians 12, we're going to see this imagery yet again. We're going to begin in verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, though, and on those parts of the body that we think less honor, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care of one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We each have a role to play. And when when we don't function the way we ought, when we're slack, when we don't put forth effort, when we don't try, The body's not functioning entirely the way it should. Even if you feel like you can only do one thing, my suggestion to you is that you do that thing very, very well. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, the preacher says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. You might be skilled in multiple areas, but even if you think you're only skilled in one area, do that thing really, really, really well. It's interesting that whenever you do your best, and you consistently do your best, over time, your best gets better. You may not feel like you have a lot of talent, but find something and work it and work on it. And eventually, what is your best right now and what your best is down the road won't look the same. You will have grown so much. God wants workers who are going to edify the body. You know, if you're skilled at encouraging your brothers and sisters, do it. I mean, if you're skilled at showing hospitality, letting people stay in your home, do that. If you're skilled at teaching, teaching in a classroom, do that. If you're skilled at teaching one-on-one, do that. If you're skilled at getting Bible studies, get a lot of Bible studies. If you're skilled at conducting Bible studies, Go conduct a lot of Bible studies that the people who can get them got, you know? If you're able to provide care, you can cook for people, you can babysit, do those things. There are some areas that I know I'm not very skilled in right now. I'm willing. um, You know, if Jim insisted I'd be down there teaching the two- to four-year-olds, I would do it, but I'm not going to be very effective. At least not this point. Maybe in two and a half, four and a half years when I have one. I don't know. Some of you can do it very, very well. And those kids need that. If you're good at teaching the older ages, teach them. If you're good at teaching adults, teach the adults. No matter what you're good at, do it. The Lord's going to judge us based on how we've used what He's given us. He wants workers who are active in edifying the body. So is God building the church here at Franklin? Are we stagnant? Are we doing things by His plan? Are we workers that He can actually use? My observation is that there's a lot of work going on. Sometimes you hear this principle. It's it's called the Pareto Principle, but it's it's across a lot of disciplines that 80% of something is found in 20% of something else. Um, And in organizations, a lot of times it's said that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I don't know what that is here. I sure hope we're beating that. If the Lord's no longer building this house because we're not following his plans or we're not working, we need to change some things. If he is building, let's keep building. Let's keep working. This is a new chapter in the life of Franklin. There's always excitement. There's always energy when there's a new evangelist that comes. And we've seen that. We are excited. We're looking forward to this new work. Let's remember, though, we're not doing it God's way. If God's not backing us, Our labor's in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, build it in vain. God building in your life. Have you become stagnant as an individual? Have you decided that you've kind of put in your time and so it's time to retire? Guess what? The only Sabbath we have is heaven. Until we're dead, we need to be working the way... God wants us to work. That that may change over time, but He still wants us to be His workers, be His faithful children.